This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. As many of you know, Lauren brought up this morning that we uh, recently got back to, um, from Israel, right? Would anybody like to hear about our adventures in Israel? You know, I thought after Law, Rob's daily log of pictures and details that you'd already feel like you had been there, but many of you were like, tell us more, tell us more, we want to see. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to look a little different, um, but we're just going to tell you what we did in Israel and then what we really feel are a few things that the Lord showed us through that. So who's ready for that? All right. So we're going to recap shortly, uh, shortly, short, we'll see. briefly. Shortly. Uh, we're going to recap for just a few minutes. And by the way, isn't it awesome to have my wife up here this morning? Yeah. Well, a few people thought so. Why? So, um, <laughs> like, sit her down. I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to be morning. here, Bob. Now, we always have some of you guys that, that always tell us uh, each time we do it. So it's so good to see you all up there together. Um, so we have been back for less than a week and a half. Pretty amazing to think about. A week and a half ago, uh, we were in Israel. There were 19 of us. Those of you who didn't know, there were 19 of us. Uh, we range of, from age from 16 to 77. Big range there. And let me tell you, the 77-year-old kicked our tails she did. like all of us. She did. She was actually an aunt to Nydia, uh -huh. and um, she had broken her hip in January. And guys, you would have never known. She was like on it, <laughs> never stopping. You know, we're like, let's. Let's keep up with She Sue. did awesome. Awesome. Uh, there were uh, six of us. That, now, you guys may, some of you who were here that first Sunday uh, that we were gone, uh, I had a video that I made. I made it that day. It was that evening for me. Uh, but that morning for you guys, you guys saw it. And uh, we were in Jordan. So it was me, Shauna, uh, Lauren Madison, and then Chris and Richard Bounds were with us. We went in a few days early. And, and we're not going to show pictures from that because the whole team wasn't there. But, but we flew in a few days early. We drove down to the border, went across into Jordan, went and visited Petra. You have and, two uh, pictures for that. The Wadi Rum Desert. I do have a few pictures of that. Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. I did put yeah. that down, didn't I? Yeah. We visited Petra. Number one, Titus. Nope, oh, that's oh. not Petra. I don't know if that's number one, but sorry. Yeah. Uh, we visited Petra. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and put it up. That's all right. We visited Petra and uh, the Wadi Rum Desert. We stayed in a couple of Bedouin camps. Uh, crossed back into Israel. We went to uh, Timna Park where they had life-size replica out in the desert of, uh, of the tabernacle. And that was, that was pretty neat to see, uh, to scale. It was, it was really neat. And, uh, and then we drove back... Um, we drove back north uh, to, uh, to the airport. And I think I have, do I have a picture of the tabernacle. I believe I have that as well of us at the tabernacle. Yeah, there it is. So, um, so anyway, we had a great time. Then we drove back in about a four-hour drive back through the desert, back up to uh, Tel Aviv, and we met the rest of the team. We got there and walked into the airport about uh, five, I, they, they five had, minutes before Jack and Terry came yeah, running yep. out to meet us. Yeah, so sure did. One thing I just... Today, I want to put some like personal things in as we go along. Um, one thing that actually took place on this portion of the trip is we were in Jordan, which you guys don't know is a separate country than Israel. Um, I believe they told me it's like 95% Muslim um, there in Jordan. And so we were driving one day, and um, do we have a picture of the girls there? Um, we were stopped at this shop right here, and they put on these head and put eyeliner on Lauren. And, um, these and Jordanian guys. These Jordanian salesmen there. And, um, and one of the men came up to me and goes, so how many camels for your daughter? <laughs> um, 
I was like, my, my daughter, my daughter cannot be bought, <laughs> especially with camels. He's like, oh, no. You How know? many did he offer? Oh, I mean, he got up to like five or six camels. I told him it had to be more than that. You know, that. and um, I mean, he's like, how many for your daughter? And, he, and then here's kind of what got me with that. He's, he, he's, he's, he goes, well, Muslim men here in Jordan, we legally can have four wives. He's like, so I've got room for some more. He's a bit, actually, I can really have, I can, I can handle 10. You know, so um, he was trying to sell himself there and um, trying to get my daughter, Lauren, and she's like, get me out of here. Um, but, you know, just a different perspective, a different culture. You know, sometimes we read about that or we see it in the news, but to really see, you know, um, the girl is actually a girl that put that on Lauren's head, and Lauren not thinking, was like, hey, you want to get a picture with us? And Madison's like, they're not allowed to do that, and her husband's right here, you know. Um, customs are just a lot different, and so um, that was kind of a funny or a little highlight to that portion of our trip. So, so those of you who were on the trip would agree that we had 10 um, packed days. Would anybody agree with that that was on the trip? Miss Pam, you do agree? Yeah, it's pretty packed, yeah. Uh, we, I think, saw absolutely everything we could possibly see in 10 days. Um, it, it took about a week, I think, for everybody to recover once we got back. But I was going to give you a quick overview. Um, like I say, if you want more, uh, you can go to, go to Facebook and, and look at all that. But uh, I made a list, which ended up being uh, long, of, of all the places that we visited. But I've got a few pictures in here we'll show you real quick. Um, we started day one. We, we visited the ruins of Caesarea. There we go, all of us together. Some of you saw that. Uh, we went to the pinnacle of Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire. We went to the ruins of Megiddo, looking down over the valley of Armageddon. How many of you have heard of that? No, I'm not talking about a movie. You guys aren't? Yeah, okay. Um, we went to uh, Mount Precipice, one of the traditional places where they believe that the people may have tried to throw Jesus off the cliff. I believe we have a picture of that as well. Uh, went to the Mount of Beatitudes, which I believe that's actually what this is. And um, this is very possibly the place where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And we had a neat moment here where uh, we had a guitar and, and uh, Lauren and, and Jack kind of traded off with the guitar and would lead some worship songs and uh, at various times throughout the trip. And, and uh, it was a powerful time. Uh, we went to the Church of the Primacy of St. Peter. This is believed to be the place where Jesus called some of the disciples right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the place where Jesus appointed Peter, called him the Rock. Um, and they believe it's also the place where Jesus, where Jesus reappeared. He was on the beach, and the, they'd been out fishing, if you guys remember this. And they come in. They hadn't caught anything. And he says, go back out and cast your nets. They don't even realize it's Jesus. And they're like, so they go back out, and they cast their nets. They come back for all these fish, and their Jesus has already got fish cooked when, when, they, when they show up. And um, so they believe it's at that spot as well. Um, where else are we? Uh, we went to the ruins of Capernaum. How many of you are familiar with Capernaum? It's basically was Jesus' home base during those last uh, three years of his life. And uh, we were able to stand in the synagogue there where Jesus would have spoke, the ruins of it, and, and able to sit actually there where, where the people would have sat in that synagogue. Uh, yes, that's it. Um, let's see. Uh, we took a, took a boat ride along the Sea of Galilee. Many of the folks who were on the trip believed that this was one of the most powerful moments we had because uh, we actually did not play the guitar during this, but the guy who was guiding the boat, he was a Christian, and he actually just played some worship. And it was, I mean, some of our worship. It was like Chris Tomlin and stuff, but it was very worshipful, and, and it was one of those uh, just kind of an emotional moment as we, as we went along that northern shore of the Sea of Galilee where most of Jesus' ministry took place. And actually with that, did you guys know that the Sea of Galilee is not a sea? You know, we always read that, and so we think, see, it's actually a lake. Does anybody know what the lake's name is? 
There you go, because I couldn't remember it. Lake Kinneret. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually a fresh body of water, not a sea like we would picture as a sea. Should we give Marilyn something for that? So, no, let's wait. Let's okay. wait. Let's wait. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. We went to the top of Mount Arbel where uh, you could see the entire Sea of Galilee. I think there was a picture of Jack up there playing guitar up there at the top, way up high. Um, we visited Magdala, the home of Mary Magdalene. Uh, we went to uh, the Tel Dan Nature Preserve. This is on the border of Lebanon. And we saw the ruins of a Canaanite town there that was conquered by the tribe of Dan. And uh, this was pretty neat because you could see the springs flowing forth from Mount Hermon that are flowing down that form the Jordan River from there and flow into the Sea of Galilee. So it was really a, really a neat spot um, there. Um, let's see. We visited the ruins of uh, Caesarea Philippi where, um, where Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? Uh, we went to the top of Mount Bintal, um, where we were able to look down on Syria and Lebanon. There's a shot from the top. You can see the, see the abandoned tank? tank down there at the bottom. You could see abandoned Syrian buildings and, and uh, uh, Israeli outposts and stuff, looking down, watching the area and, and such. Pretty awesome. Um, we, um, nine of us were baptized in the Jordan River. Any of y'all see those pictures? Yeah. That was pretty awesome. Where's Shiloh? Shiloh's highlight from this was the fish nipping at her feet the entire time. Let me time. tell you. No exaggeration, nonstop. And she's like, ah! <laughs> I, I, was the, I was the first one in the water, and as soon as I got in, I mean, there, you could see a dozen fish around your leg, and they were nipping at your feet. You, were, I was like, oh. you didn't have to pay for that pedicure <laughs> treatment. Just walk into the Jordan River Yeah, I know River some people right pay there. for that in spas. I, I, <laughs> I think I got enough uh, that time. But it was a very special moment, and we were so glad that we all got to be together for that and just rededicate ourselves um, to the Lord. All of us had been baptized prior, but it was just that moment of, you know, Jesus was here and the symbolism that that can represent. We went to Kursai National Park, and this is the spot where they believe that Jesus cast the demon out of the man, and the demons went into the swine and threw themselves off the cliff. And I do have a picture of that. I'm not sure if we're a little ahead. Uh, I think it was number 16 there, Titus. But it's just a, it's just a mountain, just a cliff. No, we're, we're getting on way ahead there. Um, that's all right, though. Um, let's see. We went to um, Bet Shean National Park. And this was the ruins of a Roman Decapolis. Some of you may remember where, the, uh, where King Saul and his sons, their heads were impaled and placed on the city walls. This was that city. Um, where that was. We went to the West Bank, went to Jericho, and to the place on the Jordan River where the Israelites, where the children of Israel crossed into the promised land, and where, you know, with the Lord's help, they took, uh, they took Jericho. Uh, we went to um, uh, Qumran National Park, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and saw the caves there. Uh, we floated in the Dead Sea. Some of y'all saw that picture uh, on, on Facebook. you really float. It's crazy. You know, like, I'm thinking, really, what's that going to be like? I mean, you would get in and it was just like, whoop. I mean, your feet, your head, your arms, and then you're kind of like, how do I get back on my feet? Because you're like trying to push down, and then you'd like flip over to your stomach. And I mean, it was quite an experience. All while being careful not to quite, get it in your eyes. Right, because you don't, I mean, they, something I learned here is they said that the, um, what, salt consistency is like 33% in the Dead Sea, where like the ocean, it can be up to 9%. So that just tells you kind of the amount There's of so salt. much salt that the water can't absorb it all, and so the bottom is covered with salt crystals. I mean, just big. Amazing. Big crystals, y'all. Not like little, not like the sea. You know, you buy to do your homemade ice cream in, like big old chunks of it, y'all. Big. So some of you know, um, Alan, our tour guide, uh, is uh, is Jewish, and um, and a lot of biblical knowledge. Amazing uh, how he was able to guide us through that. But we celebrated 
Shabbat with him. This is the Jewish Sabbath. Y'all familiar with that? And so we were able to celebrate with that with him uh, one evening uh, over dinner. Uh, we visited the mountain fortress of Masada, where uh, the mass suicide of 960 Jews took place um, before, um, before the Romans could take them. We went to En Gedi. This is the mountain oasis where, um, where they have evidence that David was actually hiding from, uh, from King Saul, as King Saul was, was trying to take his life. Um, we went to um, Bethlehem, a few sites in Bethlehem, and including the church of the Nativity. Uh, we finally made it to Jerusalem. Let's see, that's Masada going forward. There we go. There's Jerusalem. Made it to Jerusalem. Um, visited the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, went to the original city of David on Mount Zion. Uh, went through Hezekiah's Tunnel. How many of you are familiar with that story? That's a... It, that, that's the best picture we could possibly get because it, it was... And let me just say, I was behind my... Guys, we hiked through this tunnel that was about... And water. This wide. Okay, maybe this wide. I don't want to exaggerate. My, that height-wise, I had to duck at times and didn't go a whole lot higher than maybe six feet, right? Pitch dark. The only light we had was like our lights going through. And poor Mike was in front of me. And you guys oh. know Mike's a tall guy. And my light was more like shining on his head to say, Mike, duck, Mike, duck, Mike, duck. Because I don't know how many times I saw him go, oh. How many times oh, you hit your and head? I'm like, and I'm thinking, okay, if this guy knocks himself out, there's one direction this way, one direction this way. Or we're just going to need a really big miracle, right? It's a dark tunnel this wide <laughs> as far as you can see in both directions. Cold water that went anywhere depending on your height from like <laughs> calf to it actually hit kind of my belly button wow. waistline. did it really? We are a yeah, different, Yeah, I guess we Rob. are. Man. Um, <laughs> very unique. Yeah, Nydia feels me. She's like, yeah, she was behind me. So, yep, yep, fun So time. Hezekiah's tunnel was neat. Um, that's the Gihon Spring flows into the Pool of Siloam. That's where Jesus healed the blind man. Remember, the blind man washes the mud out of his eyes in the pool there, and uh, we're able to see that. Um, let's see. Went to, um, went to the Temple Mount, uh, visited the Wailing Wall, saw the traditional saw the traditional sites of the Last Supper uh, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, went to the tomb of King David, uh, visited the Israel Museum, uh, saw some of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, we got a picture next to the Knesset. This, was, this is the Israeli parliament. I think we might have a, I think I have a picture of that. Keep on going. We're still at the Temple Mount. Keep on going. Keep on going. Oh, well, okay. No, we're too far ahead. Never mind. <laughs> um, we visit, visited the ruins of Bethsaida. And uh, this is where uh, Jesus helped the blind man, the, the, I'm sorry, the lame man into the pool, uh, where he was, or didn't help him into the pool, he actually healed him, the blind man, the lame man who kept trying to get in the pool. Um, Jesus heals him. Um, we walked the Via Della Rosa. Okay, now Next go forward one. Next picture there. There, there you, you go. go. Walked the Via Della Rosa, traditionally being the route where uh, Jesus uh, carried the, the cross beam of the, the cross to Calvary. Uh, visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, visited a, a possible site of uh, the place of the skull in the garden tomb where we, uh, where we took communion together. And that, that was another powerful moment uh, on the trip that we had together. Just, a, just kind of our group together with some worship and, and taking communion. Pretty powerful time. Um, went to the ruins of the home of uh, Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, we, some of you saw on Facebook, we saw military training exercises taking place as we were worshiping at one spot out in the middle of nowhere. Helicopter, military helicopter lands right by us and takes off again, and that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, we, um, let's see, we stood by the site, right at the site where David slew Goliath. 
And it's kind of neat that this wasn't, this wasn't a park. We pulled over on the side of the road and went walking through like the field there. And he brings us to this place and we read from the scripture because it's one of the places in scripture where it tells exactly where it was at. It tells the hills that were on both sides, the brook in the middle. And we were able to see these two hills right next to us and the brook that ran right down the middle where David would have picked up five smooth stones, right? Um, we went to Jaffa. Um, we climbed a hill as possible site of uh, the city of Emmaus and went home and went to bed. <laughs> so. Now let me ask real fast. Um, how many of you in here when he was saying all these names are like, what's he talking about? Don't lie. Okay, thank you. We got a few honest people. Um, and then some of you are like, oh yeah, I might have heard of that. Um, for me personally, I may have heard of some of these places, but it comes so much more alive when you've actually stepped foot there. You know, the whole country of Israel now, as I'm reading the Old Testament, but especially the New Testament, it's like, ah, okay, that's where I was. That, it just puts things in perspective in a whole new way. And um, I think you had something you wanted yeah, to say. Yeah, that's something I wanted to say for a minute. You know, one of the number one questions that people have asked me since we've been back is said, well, how, how moving was it? Was it, you know, was it overwhelming? Is, is it, is, somebody said, is the presence of the Lord still there? I thought, Guys, it was interesting looking around and seeing all the different people. Because let me tell you, there were people from almost every country of the world. Every, every size, shape, and color that you could ever imagine. Um, it was really something for me as we stood in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. How many of you have heard of the Stone of Anointing in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher? This is this stone. Now, they believe that this is a place where they prepared Jesus' body for burial. Now, this is... It's, it's really Catholic, Catholic tradition, and it, it goes back, what they found is it really goes back to um, the Crusader days. Uh, that's when they came up with this thought that this, is, this may be the site where they prepared Jesus' site for burial. And the stone has actually only been there, I looked it up, the stone has actually only been there since 1810. Most people don't realize that. They believe that Jesus' body was laid on this stone and prepared for burial. But, but I took a couple of pictures, and I, I wouldn't even put those up, but there, as we walked in there, there was people laying on it and rubbing their face against it and kissing it and weeping. And I thought, wow, am I missing something? <laughs> Well, my goodness, because, I mean, they were just touched because maybe this is something that, maybe this is something that Jesus touched. Let me say first and foremost, guys, we are now carriers of God's presence. Isn't it great that we don't have to go to Jerusalem to experience the presence of the Lord? We don't have to go to Israel to experience the presence of the Lord. We are carriers of his presence. We're carriers of his holiness and of his righteousness. We're carriers of the love and the goodness of our God. And something that got me thinking about that is we were having lunch with the Keatings yesterday. They were talking about how, they were talking about how before they came here to the U.S. about a couple of months ago, how what, a day or two before? They were talking about the meetings they had been in. They, they, they were at church, and Dave got the minister, and it was a powerful time. They had more people saved in this meeting than, 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 this, than this group had ever had before. And, but it's out in the, what is called the bush. No running water, you guys. No electricity. No lights. He is, said he preached around a campfire, and he couldn't even really tell the, amount, the number of people there. How many people do you think it was? You have to kind of walk around. About, about 500, 500 people around a huge fire. That was church. Outside, that was church. In the bush, campfire, T 
teaching to 500. A couple of days later, they're in the U.S., they're in Wisconsin, they're in Milwaukee, and they go to a church that's in, was it an old movie theater or something like that, that had plush reclining seats, and people are walking around with cappuccinos and different things. He was talking about how nothing wrong with that necessarily. It's just how they're having church and they're having church, and what they experience, the vast difference in two different days. And guess what? The Lord's presence is in both places. And it's not because of the church. It's because as followers of Christ, God's presence is with us. So we can experience the presence of the Lord wherever we are. I did not kiss the stone where thousands of other people were bowed down kissing this stone and rubbing their faces all over Because then he knew it. I wouldn't kiss them. I'd have been like, get some sanitizer first. and No. That's no. the truth. <laughs> How many people touch that? With that said, it was a powerful experience in the Lord. If anything, it solidified and strengthened my faith like never before. And like Shauna said, every day, every single day when I open up the Bible, it's, it's totally different than it ever was before. Now you can see how things happen and when they happen and where they happen, and you can see it in your mind, and it makes so much more sense. And you realize these distances they travel, they're so much shorter distances than what you would have ever thought. Yeah, Israel's very small. What did they say it's the size of is it New, Ju- New Jersey or Rhode Island? It's small, It's small. Y'all. Let's just put it out that way. Israel is very small. <laughs> Marilyn said it felt big. She walked most of Israel. Because he was born Israel. out. Um, so, um, we, and we ended up talking to, talking about Alan again, our tour guide, he's experienced it all. He's had all different groups, you know, that he's taken on tours and and experienced all these different things and people's reactions in these, in these moments. And I, I I was talking to him and he would say, okay, if y'all want to be here and if you just want to, if y'all just want to worship here and if you just, if you'd like to worship here, he'd tell us about it. And, you know, we didn't always have to stop and worship at a site. But it was part of what he was used to. And I finally got to talk for a while, and I was explaining. I said, you know what? Places for us, places aren't really holy. I said, we're carriers of the holiness of God. Now, we may have holy moments where we feel that tangible presence of God, and we remember it, and it sticks, and it's like an altar and a monument in our lives and whatever else. But I said, we don't worship a place. We don't, we, you know, our, this church building, these four walls is not sacred ground. This is sacred ground. Amen? And so, yes, it was a powerful moment. And yes, God's presence was there because I was there. And yes, we did experience the presence of the Lord. And it was moving, but it was more so, this was the birth of our faith. This is where it happened. This is the beginning of time and the end of time. And remember how I talked last week about how the cross is truly the crossroads of time. Everything in the past pointed to the cross and everything in the future points back to the cross. The cross is the center of it all. And so that's part of what made this so special. This was the birthplace of our faith. Amen? So with that said, we want to give you a couple of, uh, a couple of things. But, wow. I, I know Rob was concerned that we wouldn't have enough notes. To cover service. And we haven't hit point one yet, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm going to give you three things. And, and you can, um, in, in your service guide, you should have gotten a little note sheet. And if you'd like to follow along on that, uh, you certainly can. Uh, also, if you're following along on your phone, you can use the YouVersion Bible app, and our notes are on there, and you can follow along as well. I want to give you three things. Lessons from Israel. Now, look, I believe that all of us who went on this trip, all 19 of us, we got different things. But I think we can agree 
on these three things. So number one, one thing I walked away from is God's heart has always been for all people. We have this idea. We talk about Israel, the Jews being God's chosen people. God's, God's heart has always been for all people from the beginning of time. While, in, Like I told you, while in Israel we could look down and we could see Lebanon and Syria, I think I have a different picture of that you can throw up there real quick. Uh, some of us were also able to see Egypt and Saudi Arabia during this time. We see what in the Bible were pagan nations around, but God's heart were for these people. In this picture, this was, that's Lebanon right there and that's Syria right there. I mean, just immediately down this mountain right here. God's heart was for the Lebanese. God's heart was for the Syrians. His heart was for the Egyptians. His heart was for the Saudi Arabians. God's heart has always been for all people. And, you know, the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament, and it seems to be just the story of, of these chosen people. But God wanted all people to be his chosen people. And this can lead us to think that God didn't care about all these other countries of the world, but it's just not true. I got to looking and thinking about it. Um, for instance, the plagues in Egypt. You know, God's heart was not to harm the Egyptians, but it was a sign to the Egyptians that the God of Israel was the one true God. And we can see that even once the children of Israel left Egypt, some of the Egyptians went with them and followed the Lord. And God honored that. We see um, Exodus 12, 37, 38 says, The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and there were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, also large droves of livestock, flocks, and herds. Many other people besides the Israelites went with them. As I was thinking about, how many of you remember Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. How incredible. She takes in these Israelite spies, and they make a promise to her, right? And we see that Rahab goes on to be an ancestor, not just of King David, but of Jesus. I'm going to interrupt here just a moment. Um, we actually had an opportunity while we were there to um, go into Jericho. Now, when I went over to Israel, I... I don't know if you guys would have been like me, but you know, you hear about Israel, you hear about Palestine, you hear about the Red Bank, you hear about the Gaza Strip, West Bank, West Bank, and you're just like, if you're like me, I don't get it. Okay, here's a country, where are these places, are they on this side of the country, or are they on this side of the country? Like, how does government work? Okay, like, I just, I couldn't get my mind around it. I'm a very visual person, so I guess I had to physically step foot and see with my eyes what that looks like. But you've got the country of Israel, but then you also have within that, I believe they broke it down into three zones, zone A, B, and C. The West Bank. Um, yep. Into three different zones where actually Palestinian authorities, because they're not actually set up as a country at this point, reside inside Israel, and they have dominion or authority over some of these areas. And so um, Jericho is actually one of those areas that is called Zone A. And so what Zone A means is that it is ruled by Palestinian authorities, but it also means that they have these huge red signs that say Jews, or I think it's Israelites, Israel citizens, Israeli citizens, Israeli citizens do not enter. At harm of uh, physical harm or death, at risk of harm, physical harm or death. Physical harm or death within their country, a little bit of land that is controlled by Palestinian authorities that is not safe 
for them to go into. And so Jericho was one of those places. And then you see in Joshua 2, verses 8 through 11, it says, But the spies laid down for the night, and Shebi and Rahab went up on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And Rahab joined the children of Israel. A non-Jew at that time. Right. Not born into it, not a follower of it. And she became an ancestor of our Messiah. God's heart has always been for all people. Think about Ruth. Y'all realize that Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't a Jew. Another ancestor of Jesus. Um, As well as Tamar and Bathsheba. You know, even the law of Moses allowed for foreigners to follow God. And and actually, in talking about that, um, how many of you have heard of a mikvah? That's mikvah. all right. I hadn't until I went to Israel. So. Heard of mikvah. I've got a picture. Put that, that one picture of mikvah. We saw this mikvah. This was um, at, below the steps uh, up to the Temple Mount. Um, mikvah, we, we saw many of these throughout Israel, especially ruins of them, and they were used for ceremonial cleansing. And, um, and what was really interesting to me, and you can kind of see it in this picture, there was a wall down the middle of the mikvah. And you can see it kind of in the middle of the steps. It's been broken down. But there was a wall that went down the middle and an opening in the back. So that would be filled with water. And they would step down on the right side. They would step down into that pool. And they would walk around the wall. And they would come out and back up the steps cleansed on the other side. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like baptism, doesn't it? Um, this represented them being cleansed from impurity and sin. They would do this before going and offering sacrifice uh, in the temple. It was also part of the process that allowed foreigners to confort, convert to Judaism, is the mikvah, to follow the one true God. And that's still even today. I did some research on that. And if you want to um, convert to Judaism, that is males. One thing you get to do is get circumcised if you're not. And then number two, you learn all the ways you meet with their rabbis. Um, but then the third thing that you do is you actually have to go through this ceremony of their baptism through that mikvah to be born into that. And it was it a forerunner to, uh, to baptism. And actually, if you think about it, I, I, you guys may have never thought of this before. Y'all realize John the Baptist didn't baptize the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't baptize the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you had the religious people who were going, what is he doing over there? Because they're picturing the mikvah. This ritual, um, traditional, ceremonial cleansing. And this is what John is doing in the river. But at the same time, he's doing something that you don't normally see before. He's saying, repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. I'm preparing the way. Messiah is coming. All goes hand in hand. Y'all see this? Really neat. God's plan was always for all of creation, for all of humanity to follow him. Um, You know, Abraham has always been considered the father of the Jews. And we know that God called him the father of many nations in Genesis 17, 5. What's more, I'm changing your name. It'll no longer be Abram. Instead, you'll be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. And from the beginning of time, God's heart was not just for the Israelites. It was for all of mankind. And 
Abraham was the beginning of that. He was the father of many nations, not just the Israeli nation, but every nation of the world. All right, so who's ready for point two here? All right, number two, we Gentiles have been grafted into the vine. That should make somebody shout. Yep, y'all don't get it. But hold on. (laughs) Before we elaborate on this point, anybody here that went on the trip with us, or maybe anybody here that's just brilliant, I will buy you an ice cream for whoever can tell me, are you ready for this? The seven species of Israel. Stand up, Shiloh. Stand up, Shiloh. Stand up and help her, Marilyn. Fig. Something they had at every meal. Grapes. Okay, so we'll repeat those in case you didn't hear it. Olive, fig, date, pomegranate, wheat, barley, and grape. Now, Shiloh, we've got something special here. We don't just have any ice cream. Guess what I found? We have a magnum ice cream. Now, open it. You're just giving her one. Because we want to get, we don't want to be partial to Guys, those who went on the trip. you got to understand, everywhere we went, they had Magnum ice cream. Okay, you would be almond hiking, Magnum ice cream. you that would be hiking favorite, for an hour in 95 degree weather. You're going to have to eat it now, I guess. Hot, sweaty, and then you would end up, and there would always be like ice cream at the end of the tunnel, right? And so our tour guide would tell us things over and over again, and then he'd turn around and quiz us. I'd buy an ice cream for whoever can tell me. And, and you'd have to quote whatever it was, you know, that he was saying. And he would buy an ice cream, and we would get these Magnum almond okay. ice cream Does bars. anybody else want a chance for an ice cream? Okay, this next question is for everybody. The first hand I see that I see, so I'll do my best with the, and I like point at you, you can answer and maybe we'll get you ice cream. So we said point number two was we Gentiles have been grafted into the vine. Who can tell me who a Gentile is? I think it was Michael. Michael. Anybody that's not Jewish? Any non-Jew, correct. So come on up. Get you a Magnum. And get you a Magnum ice cream. And you know what, Rob? You can go ahead and give Marilyn that other one now since she answered earlier. Share it. Share it. Mike can eat it. I mean, y'all, this may seem strange. You have permission. Shiloh's already doing it. You can eat your ice cream now. We are not a church that's going to get offended by that, okay? We're giving it to you. You have permission to eat it before it melts and it's no longer good, okay? All right, so point two is that we Gentiles have been grafted into This the was vine. probably the most major theme. I, I think Miss Terry would agree. This was the major theme because we read Romans 11 a couple of times, actually, as we're looking at this. This was the huge thing, I think, that we walked away from in our Israel trip. Keep going. All right. So we've heard the saying about being grafted into the vine, but, you know, you may not even know necessarily what that means. We know that the Israelites were the seed of Abraham, Right. They believe that to this day. They're the seed of Abraham. They were God's chosen people. They were the ones that followed the one true God. And then you had all these people on the outside called what? Gentiles. Gentiles. So by Jesus' day, the Jews had this idea that no one could possibly be accepted by God if they weren't a Jew. This made things difficult once Jesus died and resurrected. Um. So, if the Jews had this idea that nobody could be saved about Jews, do we, do we have anybody Jewish in the room? 
<laughs> okay, all right. All right. So the rest of us would be utterly lost, doomed. But, somebody say but. But. <laughs> Suddenly, Jesus comes in on the scene. And we know that he goes to Calvary, he gives his life willingly on the cross, and, you know, his disciples and all these other followers had to initially assume that this sacrifice was for the Jews, but so much more happened than that. We know that he paid the price for all people for all of time. And Ephesians 3, verses 6 and 7 says, I love this, and this is God's plan. Y'all ready for God's plan? Mm -hmm. This is God's plan. That both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share what? Equally. Equally in the riches inherited by God's children. That means you're a child. If you believe it, say, I'm a child. I'm a child. I'm a child of God. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. And as I said, in Gethsemane, Miss Terry actually read, she just felt moved to read Romans chapter 11. And I'm not going to take that time. It's a little lengthy. But I encourage you, go read Romans chapter 11. It is such a blessing. It's part of your identity and who you are. Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24. And Paul's comparing Israel to the natural branches of a cultivated olive tree and Gentiles to the branches of a wild olive tree. And what's really neat is we saw these olive trees. Actually, I've got a picture um, that uh, this olive tree, they had a fence around part of it because it, they estimated it was seven to 800 years old. And what they showed us about olive trees is, is they grow very quickly and these, all these little shoots come up out of the olive trees, especially out of these wild olive trees. They grow up everywhere and they reproduce very quickly because of all these little shoots that come up out of the ground. And so Paul is comparing Israel to these natural branches and the Gentiles to the branches of this wild olive tree in Romans chapter 11. And it talks about how the natural branches, being Israel, were broken off, and the wild branches, being the Gentiles, were grasses. And so the Gentiles then have become partakers of the promises and inherit the blessings of God through salvation. So if we're followers of Christ, if we have submitted our lives to Jesus, we have been grafted in. We're one of those shoots of that wild olive tree that shoots up. We're part of the seed of Abraham as well. We're part of that inheritance. We are truly children of God. Anybody say amen? amen. Does that excite anybody? That should be the best news you've heard all day. It basically comes in and it levels the playing field. Jesus was great at leveling the playing field. You had the religious people that walk in and think they're all righteous. And Jesus would say, well, if you even looked lustfully upon a woman. Oh, uh-oh, you know. Jesus could level the playing field like nobody else. And that's what happens here. God suddenly, he levels the playing field and puts everybody in the same position. And basically that position was needing Jesus. So everyone's born into the same position. Everybody has the same opportunity to be reconciled with the Father. And everybody has the same access to God. So when Jesus said, go into the world, all the world, and preach the good news, he wasn't talking about the Jews. He said, go into all the world. The Jews weren't all over the world. Well, they were. But, uh, but he wasn't just talking about the Jews. Salvation was now available to everyone. 
And so, you know, that last night, Alan made a statement to us, and it really got me thinking, for him being a Jewish man who, um, you know, obviously doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he made a statement, and he said, this isn't just our land, he said, this is your land. He said, I truly believe that. And I thought that was really something coming from a Jewish man. I thought, man, that's really, that's really something. And, it, and it's kind of what got me thinking on this further, that this is the origin of our faith. This is, you know, for us as well. So we have been grafted into the vine. We've been adopted into God's family through the sacrifice of Jesus, which brings me to the point that I just mentioned. Which is, um, the world needs Jesus. If there's anything we saw in Israel is the desperate need that this world has for Jesus. You know, talking about that, you know, even as soon as we got on the plane going from Newark to Israel, um, you could see a big difference because of the people on the plane. Um, for us that went over a few days earlier, um, it was like two days before school was supposed to start. In Israel. In, in Israel. And so there were a lot of Jewish families that were traveling back over and, um, um, or traveling home from for them from vacation or visiting over here, you know. And so, um, you know, we saw Judaism. We saw the very religious and devout. I mean, we had to ask a bunch of, I had to ask a bunch of questions. You know, there are these men on the plane that come early morning. Next thing, they're getting bags out and they're putting on garments that have strings on them and they're putting prayer shawls on. And then they're getting this thing and wrapping it around their wrist and putting a little box on their forehead and pulling out a book. And, and they're standing all over the and plane in corners. Finding a place on the plane and then they're doing this. Um, obviously, I knew they were Jew. Obviously, I knew they were praying. Um, but then I also knew there were other people on the plane that w- would say they were Jewish that weren't doing that, right? Um, and then for us, the beginning of our trip was actually in Jordan, which we talked about was 95. 95% Muslim. And guys, that was like, I think I can say this. It's kind of like when you're in America and you walk over to Mexico, you can see a significant difference, right? And just Um, the spiritual atmosphere, the physical atmosphere. And we could sense that walking in from Israel immediately into that country. You could sense um, difference. You could see different. You know, that particular night was the first night we stayed in a hotel and our girls were in a separate room. And we had read about, you know, um, I guess a lot of times how, and this isn't for everybody, we're talking about extremes, right? That how some extremes, how they treat women and things can be done that are inappropriate. And so I told Rob, Rob, should we tell the girls to maybe, I don't know, make sure they lock the door and put a chair in front of it? I mean, just, you know, you could sense and you could see things different. You know, the man saying, and I'm sure he was joking, but saying, hey, I, I, I'll buy your daughter for some camels. You know, just very different. And God, it just made me see how these people need Jesus. They are deceived. They don't know. They're, they're, in a sense, worshiping a false god. And I said in a sense because Alan actually made a comment one day that really made my head turn. Um, Alan made the statement. He said, each of these religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all follow the same god. And I was like, mm-hmm. but I've always learned not to just immediately dismiss something that I've heard, you know. Um, of course, I'm like, no, that's not right. We worship the one true God. So we talked about it. So Rob and I had a conversation about it. And, you know, I said, I think a better statement would be 
a more accurate response or statement would be each of these three faiths began with the same God. If you look at Judaism, it, they believe Adam and Eve, and they believe Abraham. You look at Islam, they believe Abraham in creation, but they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in Jesus. So maybe the beginning of where their faith began, possibly, but I do not believe we worship the same God today because we believe in a God that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Trinity, right? And we want to share that. The world needs to know that there is a Savior, that there is hope for them, that they can have eternity in Christ. It sets us Christ. apart in that we serve a God that is a God of grace, and he loves us, and it wasn't just talk. It wasn't just love talk. Oh, I love you. No, it was backed up by action. Mm -hmm. He sent his son who laid down his life and sacrificed himself on our behalf to take our judgment that was due to us. And they don't believe that. That's totally, that puts them in a completely different, different position. We serve a different God. Had the same roots and the same origins. It's the same God, but it's not the same God. Not the same God. Yeah, we're not teaching hypocrisy no, here. Yes. Um, something else along with that that I just noticed, and it's something I've actually noticed in our Christian faith that's going to lead into our next point here, is, you know, I explained to you about on the plane how I saw these Jews um, that we would say were very religious. Um, and, um, but then you would see some Jews that would say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm still a Jew, Right? Uh, and they were maybe Jew because they were born into it, or they don't practice the law. There were maybe different sects or denominations, if you will, within Judaism. Or just born into um, it. And just born into it. And you see the same thing with Islam. You know, you have those devout, extreme, that, you know, there were a couple times we were out, and you would see the mosque, and the would bing, and the over the big outcome, and then you would see people get their mats, and that was their call to worship. That was their call to prayer. And you would see men that would immediately get on their mats and start praying. And then you would see some that that was their faith, that maybe they didn't practice it that way. How many of you in here would call yourself a believer? Where are we on that scale? Are we on the extreme that it's law, 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 law? And there's no love and grace? Are we on the, ah, uh, I'm good. My mama saved. I went to church Easter, Thanksgiving. Well, no. Okay, Christmas, Easter, maybe Mother's Day because she really asked me. God knows my heart. I'm good. God knows it. Where, where are we at on that? Where are we at? Kind of goes back to that song we were singing earlier that we talked about that um, helped me live it before I can go and take it somewhere. Y'all, as Church of the Harvest, is everybody here, we need to have that foundation. We need to have such a love for God that we can see that the world needs Jesus and that we can show his love in all things. And, you know, one of the biggest things I think I probably took away um, for me personally from this trip and seeing all that was that the world needs Jesus and the works of Jesus are for today. Mm. How many of you guys have ever read or heard the verse that um, John 14, 12 it says, Very truly, I tell you, who ble whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to be with the Father. Y'all, being a Christian is not just about saying, Jesus, I love you. It requires action and obedience. And the reason why we accept, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we don't immediately go to be with the Father. 
is because we are here on earth to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Right. We are here to help and come alongside the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit can use us and move us. And I got thinking about... And he doesn't leave us in our own strength to do it. No, not at all. Not something you got to do in your own strength. But, you know, look here at what works are we talking about? A lot of times when you say the word work, people are like, ugh, I hate work, or it pays my bills, whatever. But we're to do the works that Jesus did. Um, a lot of you are reading through the Bible chronologically with this right now. We've just entered the New Testament. And how many of you guys realize Jesus did a lot of things while he was physically walking here on the earth? Mm. How many of you realize that we are supposed to be carriers of that same thing? And so we talk about works. What are we talking about? Well, I mean, First of all, it said that Jesus did miracles. What was the first miracle that Jesus did? He turned water into wine, right? We actually kind of went to the town where they think that may have happened in Cana. Um, okay, how about another miracle that he did? Um, Jesus walked on water in the Sea of Galilee. Anybody walked on some water lately? We joked about it while we were there. I don't know that any of us had the faith to actually give it a shot. There is, um, y'all, Jesus fed... At least 5,000. Y'all remember when he multiplied the loaves and the fish? How many of you guys would say that's a miracle? Yeah. How many of us should say, well, that's what Jesus did. I could never do that. How many of you know that Jesus is in you and he wants us to be doing those same things? Another thing, healings. Okay? We read in Scripture that Jesus, I mean, it says he just went about his day healing all that came to him. Jesus brought healing. Jesus healed the invalid man at the pool of Bethesda, um, at the pool of um, how do you Salome, say? Salome um, where we actually, that was at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel that we were talking about. They found the pool there, and that, remember when the mud got put in um, the guy's eyes because he was blind? And Jesus said, go down to that pool and wash it off. And then what, ha what happened? He saw. We had a couple right? of pictures there. So healings were some of those works that Jesus did. Okay, how about this one? And I'm not trying to freak anybody out here, but um, many people were freed from demonic influences. Somebody would walk across, and there'd be an evil spirit, and what would Jesus do? Cast it out. Just command you to go in Jesus' name. Well, I, he was Jesus. <laughs> in my I, name. <laughs> I command you to go. Right? And Rob talked about how we got to visit the location where the demon-possessed men uh, man was. That then... The demons are like, can we go into the pigs? And they run into the pigs, and then they, what, threw themselves into a Show cliff. us a picture, Titus. Right? Hit the pig there. No. Of the hillside. The one where uh, he casts out the demon. No. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> That's it was right. right. It was last, the last three pictures. Hit the last three pictures. Okay. So they believe that's the only spot they can figure where, uh, where the swine would have gone into the sea because at that time, they've got evidence the Sea of Galilee actually went right up to the side of that drop-off right there. And, uh, and that's the area where they believe Jesus was during that time. So they believe that's where Jesus cast the spirit out of the man and the swine threw themselves into the sea when the, when the spirit went, into the, uh, went into, the, uh, into the swine. And then we have the other two at the, at the spring, at the Gihon Spring as well. And... Um, the Pool of Siloam. There we go. So that's part of the spring where it comes out. That's as it's flowing down. And then the next picture, 
Um, they used to think that was the pool of Siloam, but actually they realized that this was actually it. And that's just a small portion of it that's been uncovered more recently. But we we're actually able to stand there. And this is where the blind man washed the mud out of his eyes that Jesus had put in there, washed him off and found that, that he could see. One other work that I had down um, that we see that Jesus did was raising the dead, right? We know that he raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany after he had been, he was stinking dead, y'all. Like the odor was already there. It had been days, right? Mm -hmm. And he came and he was brought back to life. Um, am I the only one that wants to be used by God in those ways? You know, it doesn't just happen. You're not going to just all of a sudden pray for somebody and for them to be healed. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you have to be mindful that I want to be the hope. I want to be Jesus everywhere that I go. Most Christians have never seen the greater works. How many of you are ready to see the greater works than Jesus in the earth? I believe it. I believe for it. And, you know, we see, we see healings and miracles in our church on a regular basis. But I want to see them outside of these four walls. When we leave this place, I want to see us touching those just the way Jesus would have seen those in need and touching them in the name of Jesus and seeing them healed and saved and delivered from whatever it is, whatever bondage they may have in their lives. How many of you agree with that? And the last thing that Jesus did was taking the message of hope, the good news of the gospel, the message of salvation through grace. Guys, I don't know about you, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I hope that you would agree. We have got to go and we have got to share that good news with those around us. We have got to do those works that Jesus did. Let's, uh, we, we need to wrap things up. Why don't you all bow your heads for me? Let's stand up and, and, and bow our heads. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we close out. Let's just, let's just bow our heads. Let's bow our heads together here for just a minute. Actually, y'all look at me for just a moment. One of the last days we were there as we were talking to Alan, and we love Alan. What a great tour guide, and I told him, that I love the fact that we had, we had a Jewish tour guide who gave us all these different perspectives and, and, and ways of looking at things and the way, ways the Jews look at things. And he was, he's very well studied. He knows, he knows the Bible. That's why, um, <laughs> I don't know if he's watching, but I don't think he can escape. <laughs> he's showing the sights uh, every day where Jesus touched the world, where he changed the world. And, um, and uh, I, I believe the, the, the Lord is on him. But, um, but, one of the last questions I asked Alan before we left is, I said, Alan, I said, so every day your job is to go around and show people Israel and show people the, the works, the marks, what is left that we see in the Bible of the one true God. See what Jesus did, where he walked and what he did. You talk about the price that he paid. You talk about him dying on the cross. I said, so what are the Jews? What do you, what do you do with Jesus? Know all these things as, a, as the Jews do. They, they're so knowledgeable. They're so well studied. But they can't deny Jesus. They can't deny him. They can see where he walked. They can see scripture backs up every place and every person. I mean, it, it's all there. That was my question. So what do you do with Jesus? And I'm not going to go into the response because it was a bit of a discussion. But that's my question today. What do you do with Jesus? Guys, you may have 
may be here, you may be watching online, and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord. Let me tell you, we spent two weeks walking it and seeing it. Trust me, science, archaeology, it backs up the Bible very accurately. Very accurately. People tried to say for a long, long time that the scriptures weren't really as old as, as, as what the Jews said. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> and that kind of changed things. Complete manuscripts of the Old Testament that they dated back thousands of years before the New Testament. Guys, it can't be denied. So the question boils down to what will you do with Jesus? What will the world do with Jesus? Let's bow our heads. Guys, Jesus was here. The words of the Bible are true. He lived a sinless life. He loved every person he came in contact with. And then he laid down his life, taking your punishment, taking the consequences of your sin, the punishment for your sin, willingly to the grave. But death couldn't contain him. And three days later, we know that he rose from the dead. And now every human being that walks the face of the earth, God chooses them. <laughs> but it's our choice whether we'll choose him. He already took the first step. God loves you. Doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what you've walked through. It doesn't matter what you see with your eyes. God is there. He understands. Jesus lived. He, he experienced every temptation and, and thing that you have experienced. He gets it. And he says, choose me. I've paid the price. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be brought out of darkness and into the light. You can become a new creation. You don't have to live in your own filth and muck and shame and sin. You can be free. With every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, you know what? I need Jesus. Maybe, you, maybe you've never received him, or maybe you have, and you just recognize that you haven't truly surrendered your life to him. You've been living your life in your own strength, in your own way, doing what you feel is best, and you haven't surrendered. And you would say today, like all of humanity, I need Jesus. That's you. Lift your hand. Lift your hand right now and say, I need Jesus. Yeah. Who else? That's awesome. Man. We're going to pray a prayer together right quick. I want you to understand that this isn't about the prayer. You can repeat words and go on living life as usual, and nothing will change. In the, in the New Testament, we don't find anybody actually praying a prayer to receive Jesus. They just followed him. They chose to change things. They chose to not live the same way they did before, and they chose to follow him until they took their last breath. We are going to pray a prayer together as a monument and as a place you can look back at as a point of decision. But the Bible says if you mean this with all your heart, if you truly repent and you surrender your life and say, God, I'm yours, I'm yours to the end, everything will change. Doesn't mean you're, 
never going to have issues or problems again, but the God of all creation, the God of the universe is going to have your back. He's going to walk with you hand in hand. You're going to have strength and encouragement and joy, even in the midst of trials that people aren't even going to understand. All you've got to do is truly surrender, repent, and mean it with all your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Without him, I am utterly lost. I'm utterly alone. I'm a failure. But you recognize that. And you made a way. I thank you, Jesus, for willingly taking my place, taking my sin and my shame and my guilt, all the junk that I'd accumulated in this life, and you willingly took it on yourself. And you died as the spotless lamb in my place. So today I repent for living my life in my own strength, in my own way. And I choose to surrender to you this day. And I will follow you all the days of my life. I will never look back. I will always tread forward and follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I will follow you to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. I think those of you who raised your hands today were rededicating your life to the Lord. But even if you did, as we conclude here in just a moment, come talk to me or come talk to one of our, um, our prayer partners here in just a moment and let them know and let them pray for you and, and just to pray encouragement and strength to you. Guys, you can do it. You can live this Christian life. We've got an advantage that the world doesn't have. We've got Jesus. We've got the God of the universe walking with us. He's always got us and says, I've got your back. You can make it through this. I can handle it. Let me do the heavy lifting in your life on your behalf. Guys, he takes that load he can take that weight off that you've been trying to carry in your own strength and have failed so miserably at over and over again. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down to the sides, and we have gone way over. Our children's classes need to dismiss and everything else, and so I'm not going to, I'm not going to belabor this. But I've got one more thing I want to mention before we close. Guys, you may be living a lukewarm, boring Christian life. And that is not what it was meant to be. God wants to use you to do those greater works. He wants to use you to bring healing and salvation and deliverance in the world that he's placed you in, in your environment, in the people around you. In two weeks, we're going to start a new series. In the month of October, I'm going to start a series called Ghost Stories. And we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And guys, let me tell you, if you're here, even right now, before we start this series, if you're here and you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, that's one of the first steps that you need to take in your life. You may not know what that's all about, and you can stick around for the series. You can also come down and talk to one of our prayer partners, and they'll talk to you and tell you what it means to be filled and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then you are endued with power from on high. Amen? 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 Guys, we are going to go ahead and dismiss. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you for every person that's watching online. I thank you for every person that went on this trip to Israel. Lord, I pray that none of us 
would be able to contain God within us, that we would not be able to stay silent, that we would not be able to sit on the sidelines, but that we would be compelled to step out and do things we'd never, that we've never done before, things that we never thought we could do. But Lord, we know that we can do it because you're with us and we don't rely on our own strength. We rely on your strength. You are the power in our lives. You are the strength. You are the encouragement. And Lord, we depend and we rely on you. We choose to carry you outside of these four walls that every ear, every ear will hear the good news of the saving grace of Jesus and will never be the same. Lord, as we obey, turn our community upside down in Jesus' name. Turn our city, turn our state, our nation. Change the world, Lord, because of what's taking place even right now within our hearts. We thank you for it. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866 866- Three eight three eight two seven seven. You